Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Um, I'm going to talk to you a little bit this morning. I, 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 we had a conference for a couple of days, and um, so it's been a busy old week. But I sense that just with the, with the emails, those emails of the pictures you got, dropped into my inbox early on in the week. And so it's a great opportunity for me to pray for the families prior to them coming for um, the dedication this morning. And I began to think about these babies, and I began to think about these families, and because there were three church families, I began to, to think about the battle of parenthood. I began to think of the battle of, 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 of how to win the battle, or probably, I, I said in our first service, I maybe should have called it preparation for the battle. Because in our passage that we're going to expound today, in 1 Peter 5, we're going to expound some ideas that Peter seems to give us about battle, all right? And um, what I'd love you to do, we put this on the screen, not to make you stop bringing your Bibles, but we put it on the screen because there is a, 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 a stat that says you remember a lot what you see and hear. So you don't remember a lot about what you hear, but you can remember more of what you see and hear. And hence, we use the screens but we don't want you to stop bringing your Bibles. And so what we'd love you to do, if you have a Bible with you, I'd love you to take the Bible out and open it at this passage. And if you've got a pen, do a wee bit of scribbling and underlying. Don't be afraid to do that. All right, write in your Bible is a great thing. I am the racker of Bibles. You know, I just, I rack them. I've got a shelf full of them that that are a little bit unreadable. And when they become a little bit unreadable, I just buy another one. Don't get too attached to one, all right? Because sometimes we can just get attached to the leather and the page. And, and so let's think about the author and creator of the universe. And so what I, I, I just get another one and scribble over it. So um, works for me. So I wanted to talk to you about three big things this morning, really, as we unpack this passage. And what you need to know is that the enemy... We have an enemy, which we're going to see this morning, and he is already defeated. He got defeated at Calvary 2,000 years ago. The reason we broke bread this morning, and the reason we remember the Lord, and the reason we teach our children how to do that, so we say to parents, if, you, if your children know the Lord Jesus Christ, then you bring them and break bread with them and teach them these these. Um, sacraments because they're so vital and so important. Don't let them play with them. They're not a toy. They're something that point to something very magnificent. And so I love um, the way we do it. I personally love just being able to break bread with my family here and and teach the young ones how uh, uh, important this really is. And so um, what, what you need to know is when we did that, we remembered our hearts about a sacrifice that happened 2,000 years ago that Jesus actually overcame death itself and he defeated the enemy. And when he cried those immortal words, it is finished, he had finished a work to its entirety. And it says that this man, the book of Hebrews says, after he had offered that one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty and high, which priests never did back in the old days. He actually sat down. He took a seat 
of, of, of accomplishment. So the death of Christ wasn't an accident. It was a com- an, an accomplishment, and it's really important. And so what we're going to do this morning, the first thing that we're, we're going to talk about three things. Sorry about my flip chart, but I just happen to love my wee flip chart. All right? So we're going to highlight some of the things on the verse. So the verse is going to stay up, and, and, and we're going we're gonna to work our way through it a little bit, just for um, 20 minutes or so, uh, and then we'll sing again and close. All right? Three things that I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you about how to cast yourself under the protection of God. I want to talk to you about how to, how to cast your anxieties under the provision of God. And then I want to talk to you about how to cast your eyes in some shape or form on the enemy's prowling. See, we have an enemy, and, and he's out there to get us, and we need to understand. Don't want to give him too much focus, but we don't want to Ignorance isn't bliss when it comes to spiritual warfare, all right? And so the idea of just you leave the devil alone, he won't bother you, isn't true. If you grew up with that, it's a myth and it's a nonsense, all right? And, and, and the New Testament is full of teaching, especially the epistles, warning us about this enemy that we have. So first of all, we're going to talk about this. First of all, it's important to acknowledge that there is a battle, all right? There is an enemy who will attack. His slithery tail was found in Genesis 3, and it's been sliding all its way through the history books all of the last 6,000 years. So we have a real enemy is out there. Now, he's not, he's, he's, he, he, and he continually says, God's holding out on you. That's what he said to Adam and Eve. God's holding out on you, not telling you the full story. He's keeping you in the dark. And, and he's been doing that ever since. And, and you need to know he's not omnipresent. What I mean by that, God is omnipresent, which means God can be everywhere at one time. Now, you can't get your head around that. You don't even need to try. You cannot understand how God can be everywhere at one time, but you can take my word for it, and better still, you can take this word for it. He can be everywhere at one time, which is very, very powerful. But the devil is not omnipresent. But I can assure you, he is everywhere. He is represented everywhere by his hordes and by his, his, um, his uh, followers, and he's out there. And so, so what, we, what we need to realize is that he comes to harass and to make your life ineffective. And so what we need to do, we need to prepare ourselves as a parent and as a grandparent, we need to prepare ourselves um, that that there's an enemy out to get our kids and out to get our grandkids. We, re, we, we, need to, we need to know that, all right? That's why I'm teaching you this morning to fall on your knees and to cry out to God on behalf of your kids. And you grandparents, more so, cry out to God for your little grandkids because this is so, so important. So we need to understand how to do this. And and we do this by, by casting ourselves under his protection. And when you cast yourself under his protection, what you're doing is, what you're doing is the Bible tells us in this verse to humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. What does that mean? Well, it means that, that, that you're placing yourself in a place of protection. There's a humility to say, I can't do this alone. There's a humility to say, I, 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 I can't 
navigate this thing called parenthood on my own. I can't actually navigate life. I can't look after myself. How can I look after a child? I can't look after this, so how can I look after this? And what we do is we, we cast ourselves under His mighty protection, and we humble ourselves in a way to say, I'm not that high and mighty. Paul said this to the church at Corinth, not many noble, not many high and mighty are called, but God used the foolish to confound the wise. And so there comes a moment in your life where you have to step under and realize you can't do this alone, but you step under His protection to do it. And so what you're doing is you're, you're submitting to, which is like a horse under harness, all right? That's what the word submit means. Is it any wonder that when you go to put a harness on a horse for the first time, they say you're breaking the horse in? doesn't want it doesn't want to be harnessed. It doesn't want to submit to. It doesn't want to come under the rule and reign of someone else. So there's a wildness in it, and it will try to do whatever it wants to do. We're the same. We're the same. We're free-spirited. And, 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 and God sent to submit ourselves, to, to come under His mighty hand. And as we do that, something powerful begins to happen. And we begin to say, like Joshua of old in Joshua 24, he, he stands before the children of Israel, and they were worshiping, they were running after the Amalekites and, and every other kind of ites. There were ites and ites and ites, and, and they were running after all of these. And Joshua stands up and he says, choose you this day who you will serve, folks. He said, you need to make a choice. But he says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Something very powerful. And so parents this morning, grandparents this morning, a great declaration to make. Isn't it about your house to say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And when you say that, you, you, you actually say something like this. You say, what you're saying is, he, he, his ways are just and true. You're, when you're under his protection, you're saying, he's with me. He, he, he's my friend. He's in my corner. He's on my side. He is working for me. I'm going to stop doing things my way. And instead you say, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to stop trying to work this out on my own. And I'm going to draw a line on the sands that were today. And I'm going to step over that line and say, that's it. I'm not going back there. I'm going to stay here. That's really important that we understand that. And then what we're going to talk about for a moment or two, we're going to talk about this, about how to cast your anxieties under His provision. Anxiety is a killer. Anxiety is a killer. All the counselors who are here uh, and people who work in that department will know this. Anxiety is a killer, and we all can get anxious. And Philippians 4 verse 6 puts it this way. It says, don't be anxious for anything, but by prayer and supplication, make everything. It says, don't be worried about anything, but by prayer and supplication, make everything known to God. And so anxiety is such a killer today, and we treat it with pills. And hear me, hear me, please. I'm not against antidepressant pills at all. If you have a chemical imbalance and the doctor feels you need to bring that into line, I am his biggest supporter, all right? But I do think they're giving out too willy-nilly. And I think as families sometimes, and as moms and dads, and as grandparents, we get all anxious. We get anxious about our kids, and we think, Will, will our kids be able to do this? And will our, and, and will our, will our, will our, will our kids be able to do their exams? And we get all anxious and we go to see the doctor because we go to see the doctor because, because our kid's doing our exams. And he gives us antidepressant pills to help us get, and instead of actually doing this, instead of saying, God, 
I want to bring all of my anxieties under your provision. And I'm going to suggest, God, that you have provided for my child. God, my teenager who won't clean his room. My, my, my wayward child who doesn't seem to love you anymore. God, I'm not going to get in depression about that, but I'm going to cast it under your provision. I'm going to believe this morning that you provided for that at the cross. And so there's a casting your anxiety under the provision of God. That's what you should be doing for your kids. Not running to a doctor, asking the doctor, my kids are driving me nuts, can you give me something to help? You can say, God, you should go into the, the great physician and say, my kids are driving me nuts and casting it under his. Can somebody come and help me up here? <laughs> um, okay. Um, so, so it's really important that we, really important that we understand that, all right? Um, and then, and then what you're doing when you say that, you're saying, I'm trusting God with it. I'm giving it to him. And then the, the third little thing I wanted to do is talk about how to cast your eyes on the enemy's prowlings. Um, this is, this is very important because we need to understand this. You see, in casting all our care on Him, I love this wee bit, casting all your worries, all your concerns. This is the Amplified, casting it all upon Him. Read it there. It's very powerful. All your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all, on Him, for He cares about you with deepest affection and watches over you very carefully. Isn't that beautiful? Now, thirdly, I want us to talk about the eyes, keeping our eyes on the enemy's prowlings, because that's really important that we do that. You see, um, you need to start understanding spiritual warfare. We are in a battle. We, we lodged ourselves in a battle. The moment we came to faith, the moment we stepped into God's army, into, into God's camp, we became part of God's army. And we're in a battle, and the battle needs fought. And so if you just if you're just oblivious to it, then the enemy can do all kinds of things that we'll see in a moment. And so a high priority in this is, is faith, because faith and fear are opposites, and anxiety is a result of fear. And so without faith, it's impossible to please God. There's something really powerful about understanding that without faith, it is impossible to please God. We need to operate in the realm of faith. If we're operating in fear, we're operating in the opposite of that. And so it's really important to understand that, that, that this is going on, all right? You'll, you'll begin to see people in a different light. You'll begin to stop fighting people and start fighting the devil. We just had a conference for two days, and on the, on the first day of the conference, I had a bit of an encounter with somebody quite hostile right in the middle of the conference at one of the breaks, and it was going so well, and everything was so great. And this church leader came to me quite hostile about a situation, about something that somebody in our building that we should know about, and I didn't really want to know about. And, um, and uh, he was quite aggressive. And I'm a quite passive sort of creator, and I... I, but there is a side of me that most of you haven't seen, and I hope you never do, and I don't like that side because I have a long fuse, but it's a fuse all the same. And he was lighting it right at the danger's end. <laughs> he was lighting it right at the danger's end, and I could feel this. I could feel this rising in me. I feel, and, I, and all of a sudden, I just felt the Lord say, Phil, you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. 
You don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Stop getting so stressed. Cast it under my provision. And so I said one or two things to him that, he, that were very biblical, but he didn't seem to like. And he left. And I waved bye-bye. And, uh, and, um, and that, so, so there's something about that. You need to understand the enemy's strategy, all right? Because you, you, like, for instance, like, who, who started white people hating black people? Who, who, and, and, and vice versa. Who started Protestants hating Catholics and Catholics hating Protestants? Whoever started that in this country? Whose idea was it anyway? Was it the provisional IRA? Or was it the UVF or the UDA? Who started all that nonsense? Oh, come on. We know it's a way beyond that. It was spawned in hell itself. It was the devil. Creates hatred. He uses all kinds of mechanisms and all kinds of people, and people don't realize that they're not fighting against flesh and blood, but they're fighting against principalities and powers and rulers in high places. So it's really important that we understand this and that we um, grow in that. So, um, little thought: um, How do we? How do we? If we're under attack, and there's pressure when you're under attack, we're living in a kingdom that's very powerful, all right? Praying for a little Zechariah. We've prayed for Zechariah now for, from he was born. We've prayed for him day and daily. We've prayed, we've sought God, we've fasted, and it's so beautiful this morning to, to dedicate him unto the Lord. So we know there's an enemy. When, when you talk about winning a battle... You're not talking about getting every prayer answered the way you want. You're talking about winning a war in your mind. That the attitude that you start to think with is completely different. It mightn't come out the way you think it is. And so what Peter says, he says, be sober-minded. He said, be watchful. Keep your eyes peeled. He said, your adversary, the, di- the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, and he's seeking whom he may devour. He's out to get you. And so what he's saying is there's a few things that you need to do here. There's a few things that you need to do. The first thing he says you need to do, you need to resist them. You need to resist them. The Bible says you submit yourself unto God. You see, we say, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. That's only, that's only half the quote. It says, submit yourselves unto God. That's the other side of the coin. And then he says, when you're submitted to God, then you resist the devil and he'll flee from you. So he says, he's saying, determine you're not going to be passive. You need to know this, that, that he is anywhere and he's everywhere where he's not resisted. He's a dirty, rotten bully. And you need to resist him. And, and, and you need to determine that you're not going to be passive. You, make him, you need to make him know that when he comes your way, he should think he, he shouldn't have bothered. All right? You say, take a hike, enemy. Not being irreverent now, but you, you're not listening to your junk anymore because, you see, I've got a new manual, and I'm under a new manager, and I've got a new mandate, you see. Here it's here. So when this says this, I, I say, no, this says this. So when somebody says, you could never do anything, you're useless, you say, well, funny, this says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. I think I'll trust this. I think I'll, I think I'll disregard this. You see, there's, 
There's something about understanding this. There's something about understanding the resisting of the devil. And so what you do is you, you say to him, I'm not taking that anymore. I'm not taking the blame. I won't listen to your lies because I know who you are. You see, my new manual told me who you are. My new manual tells me that you're a liar. Actually, my new manual calls you the father of lies from the beginning. So I, I'm not listening to you because you're a liar. And so you better just get out of here. And, and, and if you start agreeing with him, when he says you're no good, if you agree with him, you will be rendered ineffective. So, so what you've got to do, you've got to resist him. And then look here, the next wee line. And he says, firm in your faith. What's he saying? He's saying, not just resist, but you need to remain. You need to remain on this. He said, you need to stand on this word. You see, faith's not just for the good times. Faith is when the chips are down. Faith is when Ruth and Rick had to spend months in, in, a, in, a, in a hospital in Birmingham. Faith is what kicks in then. Faith is what believing God when, when it's not working according to your plan. That's what faith is. And, and, and so you, you, and this is, why, this is why John 8 is so important. John 8, 32 says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. You see, the truth will never set you free. The truth will never set you free. It's your knowledge of the truth that sets you free. If it's sitting on your shelf from week in to week out and gathering dust and, and, some, and maybe even wondering when the last time you read it, that will never set you free. That's just leather and, 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 and pages and writing, if that's all it is. But he says, you shall know the truth. And it's your knowledge of the truth that sets you free. And when the chips are down and things are bad and it's not working out the way, something rises up because you see you've filled the well. You've deposited into the bank. And when you've deposited into the bank, you can withdraw whenever you're skint. And there's sometimes in life you'll be skint. There's sometimes in life it will throw a curved ball at you. This is what life does. And you will be skint. You will not know what to do. You will not know who to turn to. And your nearest and dearest, the people that love you the most and love you the best, won't be able to fix it. That's where you'll need this. He says, remain. Remain firm. Make sure it's in you. And when it's in you, when you resist them, you stand on it. He'll put pressure on you. He'll try to push you back. He'll try to challenge the word. You remain steadfast because this is, this is the rock of ages. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And then he goes on a little bit and he says this. I love this bit. He says, uh, he says uh, when you've done all to stand and you don't cast your, he says, he says do this little thing. Here's my last hour. This is the joys of being a brethren boy, you see. You get them all the letters the same. All right? Okay? Um, you remember. He said, remember, knowing the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brother who's throughout the world, knowing you're not alone. Elijah, Elijah, after the prophets of Baal, ran, and he's discouraged. He's sitting in a cave, and he says, God, it's only me. There's nobody else. There's not another prophet in the whole nation. And he said, I'm here alone. And God says, what? my interpretation, God says, wind your neck in, Elijah. There's 7,000 that haven't 
I'm sure God raised his voice, I got to. There's 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to me. But he says, you're not going to find them in a cave. You're not going to find them in here. You're going to have to go out. And see, the thing is, I, 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 I remember just weeks after, after Jill died, and Neil and Shirley and Alan and Jerry are here, and they remember this. The, the day Mark Alexander got married, I went to the, the reception, and I sat at the table with Neil and Shirley and Alan and Jerry and me in an empty chair. And I remember it was one of the most painful, still poignant in my mind. And I left Hillsborough where the, where the reception was and I drove from there to the graveyard. And I went to the corner of the graveyard. If you know where Jill's grave is, when you walk through the gates, it's the furthest corner of the graveyard. And I went and I kneeled and I was a broken mess, blubbering mess. And I said, God, why me? Why me? Why my marriage, God? loads of messed up marriages and people who don't even want to be married. Why would you take, why would you take someone who wanted this? Why, why me? God, why is it only me? And I remember lifting my face. It was a defining moment from the corner, that back corner of the graveyard, and I could see hundreds, thousands of graves. I remember the thought just struck me. Holy smoke, it's not only me. And that night, I remember walking up and down the little paths of the graveyard, and I looked at the little dash. You know the little dash in the middle? Person, this was the date they were born, and then there's a little dash, and this is the date they were come home. And I realized that some of them were awful short. Some of them were big, long lives. Some of them were real short. And I remembered, <laughs> one, I was still in the dash, and you're still in the dash. And... You need to remember that you're not the only one. All right? There's something really powerful when we, and that will help us endure the pressure. Won't, won't get it all your own way, but there's something about remembering. And the greatest trick of the devil is to isolate. This is greatest trick. This idea that nobody loves me, nobody cares, it's only me, and if he can divide you, he can conquer you. We all saw the, 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 the shows on TV where the the, the lion goes after the wee Wilbur beast that goes away out on its own. He doesn't go to the middle of the pack. He, he looks for the wee desolate one. He looks for the weakling. He looks for the one that thinks he's on his own, and he takes him down. And there's something about understanding this, that, that if he can divide you, he can conquer you. And, 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 and when you isolate, I think, you, you actually put yourself in a place where the enemy can get you. I say this, and I say it really carefully, all right? Always be suspicious. I'm, I'm, as a pastor, I'm always quite suspicious of people who say, I don't need anybody. And I say this without fear of contradiction, right? When somebody says that, I can assure you they're being demonized. I'm not saying they've got a demon, <laughs> but they've been isolated and demonized by the enemy. When people get into a mindset that they don't need anybody and I'm going to be on my own, and I, that's the enemy. As sure as shooting, that's his favorite tactic, and he will take that person down. And, um, and so it's really important that we understand this. And then, so what I'm saying is don't pull away. Don't retreat. Don't run away. We're a body. We're a family. People do this to me sometimes, and people say, Phil, nobody cares. Nobody loves me, and I have nobody. And I go, I, I know loads of families that, 
right now would take you home for lunch. We have a counseling center, the best counseling center in this country. And we have the best counselors, 23, 24 of them, in this country. And we will give you all the counsel you want. And if you can't afford it, we'll give it to you for free. So don't tell me nobody cares. And don't tell me nobody can help. Because the help's there. All right? So, third thing and last thing. Oh, I love this. Right? If there's a preparation for attack, and there's a pressure under attack, there's surely a promotion after attack. Let's read this as we close it off. Maybe Dave, will you want to come up and we'll finish with a song. He says, after you have suffered a little while. After you have suffered a little while. Do you know, I was thinking about this this morning. I got up early this morning because I couldn't really think about anything until I got the conference over. And so I got up in the wee small hours this morning. I was reading this and I thought, after you've suffered a little while. I wonder what the little while is. Like, the little while could be until you go home. <laughs> could be. But it's still a little while. In the broad, broad, the, the broad scan of things, in this broad scan of eternity, it's still just a little while. He says, after you've suffered a little while. He says, the God of all graces has called you to His, his eternal glory. Will Himself He will take this into hand Himself. And He says He will restore you. He will confirm you. He will strengthen you. And He will establish you. Let me tell you what those mean quickly as we finish off. He says He will restore you. I love this. If He's going to restore you, you'll be more satisfied. Isn't that lovely? So if if I'm restored... If I'm restored, I'm going to be more satisfied. God, you just restore to me. Just restore me back into that place. Whenever David says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation, he wasn't saying, fix all my problems. He was just saying, restore my intimacy with you. Restore my understanding of who you are. And then he says, I'll confirm you. He says, you'll be more settled. Isn't that lovely? More settled. Whenever you confirm, whenever you give somebody a hug and say, I love you, there's a settling, isn't there? When somebody's a bit distraught and you, you run and you put your arms around them and you say, look, I'm going to be here. I'm going to journey with you. Something begins to settle in them. It's a settling effect. When, when God embraces you with his loving arms and says, son, don't worry. I know it's tough. I know it's tough. But I'm, I'm with you always. Even till the end of the world. I think, oh, my word, that is so beautiful. And then he says, not only that, he says this, he says, I'll strengthen you and make you more strong. Isn't that lovely? Strengthen you, strong in the faith. Rise up with wings like eagles, Isaiah says in the last verse, verse 31 of chapter 40. Run and not be weary. Walk and not be weary. Run and not faint. He says, rise up, be renewed like the eagle. How beautiful. Getting strengthened by the God. And then, I love this last one. He says, he will establish you. He'll make you more sure. So you've got all messes this time. Make you more sure. More satisfied, more settled, more strong, more sure. Man, ministry always comes after battle. Always remember that. Ministry always comes after battle. And I did a little drawing um, on my 
flip chart a while ago, and um, Warwick was disgusted with it, so he, he, did it on a, he did it on a PowerPoint, and I've showed you this before, and then we're going to sing. Um, let me explain this to you, because this is really important. A stronghold is a house made of thoughts. The Bible has a lot to say about strongholds. We build strongholds in our mind. That's where the start. So the book of James says that you, you need to watch your mind. He said, I, I would that you would be strong in the Lord and you'd be renewed as your mind is, as your soul is. The word for soul in that context is psyche. So there's something about your thoughts. And so when you have a thought pattern going on, you build a value onto the thought pattern because if you think you're no good, your value will, your value that you live out, you live that out. You live the fact that, well, I don't belong there. And I don't feel I'm not going to set up near the front because I feel I'm not holy enough or I'm not good enough or I'm not, going to, I'm not going to mix with them because if you feel that, that's the value you live by. Whether you like it or not, that's a value, all right? And then the lifestyle in action is all retreat. So you live in that. Your lifestyle then is based on your value. And then guess what the dirty, stinking, rotten devil does? He puts a ceiling on it. He just, he just makes a bondage. And he says, I've got him where I'm. he's thinking he's no good. She's thinking she's useless. She's thinking she's ugly. She's thinking she can't do it. She's valuing that all out. Her lifestyle's all living it. I'll cap that. And I'll make sure that thought never leaves them. Gav gave me a great little tool. Having time to look at it, but Gav gave me a little tool for hand to break this open with people, and I haven't time to go into it, but I will. He, he's allowing me to use it. But uh, uh, after the first service, he gave me a great little tool. Now here, here's the thing. And what happens when the bondage happens? The devil comes in and lives in this thing. He lives in it. This is his domain because we've built a stronghold for the enemy. Now here's the thing. Now watch the slide. Watch the slide. Okay, the next one's identical, only there's a little bit of different writing, okay? Right, same house. The way to destroy a, a, a stronghold is you, you, if we were destroying a house, a natural house, we'd take the roof off and we'd knock it down from the top down. The way to destroy a stronghold is to destroy it from the bottom up. You see, you built this one from the bottom up. You need to take it down from the bottom up. That's why Romans says you need to renew your mind. Renew your mind. He said, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? Well, you start thinking differently. You start saying, I'm not going to let this define me. I'm going to let this define me. I'm not going to let that report define me. I'm going to, I'm going to. So when somebody says, you can't do it, I'm going to say, no, 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 I can do all things. When somebody says, God will never do that, you say, well, my God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that I can ask or think. When you say, well, you're, you're done, you're, you're done, you're never going to be able to do it again, you say, well, no, 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 no. The Bible says he'll restore my soul and he'll restore paths to walk in. So you see, you see, it's getting it in. And, and what you do is you change the way you think, and you think, I can do it. And the beauty is, as you change the way you think, your values actually change. We see it all the time. People get saved. They, they think they're, they're totally addicted to drugs or totally addicted to drink, and their values begin to change. They stop doing it. Their lifestyle changes. Their lifestyle changes. And, and like, I, 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 I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I, I've watched this happen over and over again. And this, I have a man sitting in the front row that is a prime example of the grace of God and that you can do this. Changing the way you think. Changing the way you think. Changing the way you think. Beautiful. Lifestyle changes. And you know what happens when that happens? The Holy Spirit then comes in and puts a roof on it. And he moves in and he lives in the house. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Man, I've had another hour. I could expound that all. But you'd be hungry. So um, you probably still, you are, probably are hungry now. 
we're going to sing a song um, through, and then as it's over, I'll come and pray, and then um, our, our meeting's over. Thank you so much. I hope you, this, this, this help, this help you. Brendan, thank you, thank you. Um, good. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.